Ah, uh, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. As you realize, Christmas season is here. As you look around and see uh, the beautiful uh, decorations we have and how we've prepared ourselves to celebrate this season. Uh, we've had the, uh, the, 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 the shopping malls have been full, but we want to now let your heart be full for the Christmas season. We want to talk about worship fit for a king, actually fit for the king. And uh, Matthew chapter 2, as you make your way there, I was watching the news this past week and I saw something that's very interesting. In the, in the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, uh, there is a, a German village that, that sets up shop and, and gets ready for Christmas every year and they sell Christmas decorations and it's called the Christmas Village. And they have the, the archway with the lights written up, lit up that says Christmas Village. Well, when they opened up their, their village for a Christmas business, uh, some people, a small group of people, complained that they didn't like the word Christmas. And so uh, the, the man who runs the Christmas Village said, okay, he, he actually would not, he disconnected the lights to the word Christmas and left only the word village, which looked kind of weird, but that's what he did. And only within a matter of a few days, he got so many complaints from the masses of people that he hooked up the lights again and it read Christmas Village. Christmas is a time to celebrate the one who left heaven 2,000 years ago, born of the Virgin Mary, and became a part of humanity. He walked in our shoes. And that is why we celebrate Christmas Christ came, born, lived, and that's the celebration of Christmas. Now, the great thing, it is one of the most amazing times of the year because worship can occur more easy than any other time of the year. As we look around, as we hear Christmas songs, as we see Christmas decorations, our heart is stirred to worship. So I want us to get ready for that and understand how we can do that. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Understand, this is a, most, this is a great statement. We have come to worship the king. We have packed up our goods. We have made this long journey. We have cut out this section of time. We have expended this amount of energy. And we have come for the sole reason not to satisfy curiosity, not to say been there, done that, but to say we have come to worship the king. That was our sole focus. What can we learn from these wise men. Well, Jesus kind of helps us out in understanding worship when he met a young woman at the well in Samaria and he tells her about what it means to really worship God. Here's what I know. Worship is foundational to everything else for spiritual growth in the Christian life. Everything that comes out of our life is designed to help us grow. It starts from the thing called worship. Uh, inside your bulletin is, a, is an interest survey on the different things that you could take uh, it's a survey for you to check out what you'd like to take part in studying over the next few months. 
And I hope you'll begin filling that out. Write your name on it at the end of the service. You can uh, leave it here or leave it out there on the table. But that's a part of spiritual growth. But let me tell you, if we don't know how to worship, those things really don't matter. We just get more knowledge without expending our spirit and responding to God in our spirit. It's great to understand truth, to know truth, and to gather truth. But worship is more than gathering truth. It is about actually responding to God in spirit with our heart as well as with our mind. And so as we look at this, that is worship is foundational for everything in our spiritual life that requires growth. Could it be that many people come to church because it's Sunday rather than coming on Sunday to worship the King? Because it makes a difference. It really, really does. As we look at this, worship is celebrating what, who God is and what He's done. That's what worship is. Celebrating who He is, all that He is, and what He has done and what He can do. That's worship. And worship is not a place, it's a state of mind and heart. Worship is a part of everyday life. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not just, if, you know, it's not just showing up in a building that has a steeple on it and we say we're going to worship. Worship is what happens in the heart. It's not about a place. It's about an attitude. And so as we understand that, if that's all we do is show up on Sunday because it's Sunday, it won't change our lives. We won't experience all God wants us to experience or enjoy all He wants us to enjoy. So what is this thing called worship? Well, there's two things. Number one, worship for the king is a priority both privately and publicly. It is a priority privately and publicly. That means through the week, it's a priority for me to worship my king. Uh, To somehow cut out some time to, to talk to him. We call that prayer. Or, or, or to open his Bible or open your computer or your iPhone and talk to him and read something from his word. I have, I have on my phone, I have this thing where I can basically uh, go over to uh, uh, my, my email and I get uh, something from David Jeremiah every day. Today's turning point. And I can actually read a little devotion. It takes about two to three minutes to read it, think about it. And I've actually had a moment to worship because I have focused on God. I have received truth. And hopefully my spirit has attached to the truth. Let me read just the last sentence he says here. Uh, He's talking about Christmas uh, night songs while shepherds watch their flocks by night. And it's obviously about Christmas. But he said, be willing to set aside anything that obstructs your view of Jesus this Christmas season. To miss seeing him is to miss the whole of Christmas. Now, when I read that, I thought about that. I said, okay, Lord, what am I going to do to make sure I don't miss you at Christmas? That I don't get so busy or so overwhelmed or even so frustrated that I miss worshiping you. Christmas is about the king. It's about worship. And so I want to make sure that in private life, that's throughout the week that I cut out time to really, really worship the Lord and and to spend time with Him. Because worship aligns our focus on who really matters. Not on what matters, but on who matters. And worship is about who, not about what. It's about who we worship. We worship the King of Kings, the King Eternal, the King of the Ages. I love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look 
full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will go strangely dim in the power of his glory and grace. Guys, if we could just learn to focus in the midst of a busy lifestyle, of a demanding lifestyle, of an overwhelming lifestyle. Christmas brings all those things to our life, but yet it's a time to say, God, I want to slow down for a minute and I want to worship you today for a minute. My life's going to get hectic. It's going to get busy. People are going to be pulling at me. There's going to be things I got to do. I got to get down my checklist. But God, today, let me worship you for a minute. Let me focus on you and let me allow my spirit to connect with you from my heart. That's what we're talking about. Worship that's fit for a king. We honor who he is. Private worship is it's like that every day. And so uh, through prayer and, and maybe a devotional book or even singing. Do you know singing hymns and courses or singing Christmas songs is a form of worship? Privately, it's just great. You can go in the car. You can have a moment of worship as you sing. Maybe some of you like to sing in the shower. And that would be a moment of worship. Who would have thought? But when we begin to focus on God, worship begins to take place. I now give Him priority. And so we do that privately. If worship happens only on Sunday, you will be spiritually anemic. We can't get you caught up on a worship hour one day a week. We can help you. We can encourage you. We can hopefully inspire you, but we can't get you caught up. That requires something that's done personally and privately during the week. But also, what about public worship? It must be a priority. Because public worship is where we come together. And let me tell you, you say, well, why is it such a big deal? Hey, guys, I've had all the discussions. I've been in the ministry a long time. I've, known, I've talked to a lot of guys. And I've heard all the, all the say, Pastor, you know, I can, I can worship from my deer stand on Sunday morning. Really. Uh, but you will be distracted when a deer comes by, I promise you. And there ends the worship. Well, Pastor, I can, I can worship out of my bass boat on Sunday. I understand that. But as soon as a fish hits your line, you're distracted and worship's no longer taking place. I can worship in my living room on Sunday morning. No, you're going to watch something on TV that's going to distract you from God. Who are we really trying to kid? Worship is a priority that God is the central focus of what we're thinking about and what we're feeling. We have men say, I'm going to give you some time, God, because you're my king. And because you're my king, I want to think on that and respond to your power and position, to your majesty and your magnificence. You see, when we have public worship, here's why it's important we have public worship. When people say, well, I ain't got to come together to worship to be a Christian. My question to you would be, if you're a follower of Christ, why wouldn't you want to come to why wouldn't you want to come and worship with other believers? I mean, that's the more important question. You see, because when we come, something happens. First of all, in public worship, we are reminded that God is our Father. When disciples are asking Jesus about prayer, in the context of the Lord's Prayer is a public prayer. He said, don't be like the Pharisees that pray in public, and they say a lot of stuff and it means nothing. I want you to pray specifically and pray with Spirit and truth. Don't pray like they do just to be heard. So the context was public prayer. And so he said, and here's how he says, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Guys, we need to be reminded that 
It isn't just about me. I'm not the only child God has. We all are his children. If we have a faith in Christ, we are his children. If we've had that, that defining moment, we give our heart to Christ and enter that personal relationship, we are his children. That means when I come together publicly, I am now worshiping with my brothers and sisters. Man, we're family. And we've come together as a family to worship our Father who provides all that we need to worship Him. The inspiration, the motivation, the encouragement. To neglect public worship is to insult God who's the head of our family. To say that I ain't got to show up for this. Insulting to the King. It is. He says, I have told you that I want you to meet publicly for worship. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as some have done. Hebrews 10 says, we need to come together. Don't quit coming together because it's not convenient, because it's challenging, because it's hard. But you come together because we're family. And family needs to be together. It's one of the few times we get to embrace this moment once a week. To come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. To make a statement that we're family. And also God will do certain things within public worship uh, that, that he can't do, that he won't do in private worship. Because you will hear stories and things will happen. Let me give you an example today. Uh, because of uh, the public worship, we came together. Barbara Evans comes to our early service and uh, she came down to the invitation and took my hand and said, I just want to say I'm so excited about being able to worship today because, you know, 10 years ago I was in the hospital and they basically said I would never come home. If I survived, I'd be a vegetable. I remember that 10 years ago, being in the hospital for days with her husband, David. And I remember the doctor saying, yeah, she's getting in a position to die. And she said, you know, I didn't die. God preserved me. And so then I remembered six years ago when I asked you why, why would he preserve me? She said, he wasn't finished with you yet, but she said, you know what I found out? She said, six years ago I was saved. Gave my heart to Jesus. Now you see, guys, that fired me up today. Man, I worshiped. I've been thinking about that ever since this morning. I will think about that throughout the week of how God supernaturally intervened and brought someone back to life who was considered dead practically. And not only that, but brought her a point of salvation in her life and she gave her heart to Christ and, and now she glows with the reality of Christ in her life. And let me tell you what, that happened in a public arena of worship. I would have missed that. I'm sharing it with you because now you get to be a part of it. And that's, you say, I came today and I heard this great story about a, a lady in our church who had an amazing, miraculous thing happen. Public worship is awesome. Public worship, because we are the church, happens not just on Sunday, though, but also can be a part of... I've been in some of your homes. I was in a home last August where family joined hands and a fellow pastor and we prayed and we had church. I mean, we had church. We had church. Just begin to talk to God. Some cried and some shared. And then we saw God do something great in days that followed. I've been in other homes 
where two or three are gathered and we've held hands and we've prayed. Man, that's church. That's church. That's worship. There's nothing like it. You see, great things happen when you worship God. It's not about just, well, God, we're trying to get you to show up on the scene. God is on the scene. He's wanting us to acknowledge He's on the scene. He's wanting us to point say, God, we know who you are. You're the creator of the universe, the God of all ages, and we've come to worship you. We recognize you're here. We're not trying to ask you to show up. We don't have to ask God to show up. He's here. He's waiting. He's looking for us. He's seeking us to respond to Him. You know, worship is the only place for humanity. We have a choice to worship. The rest of creation just worships. But we choose to worship or choose not to worship. And so he says, I want you to choose to worship. Uh, and honor me. So worship is about honoring God. It was uh, in um, Seattle, Washington this past week. High school team was playing in the semifinals for the state championship. Young man named Brian, number 44, scored a touchdown. His team would go to the finals. As he scored the touchdown, he took a knee very quietly, very quickly, and pointed up and got up and ran to the sideline. In the process, he had been doing this all year. In the process, a particular referee felt that was unsportsmanlike conduct. And drew attention to himself, and therefore he penalized the team 15 yards. What I was impressed with was when they had this young man on to interview him, his humility and his grace. They said, now, what do you think about being treated that way? He said, well, that's the referee's call. I understand that's what the referee does. If he felt that way, I'm okay with that. That wasn't quite what they wanted to hear. And they said, well, well he said that you were calling attention to yourself. And he said, well, no, that wasn't what I would do. He said, honestly, my goal was to honor my Lord for just blessing me. Just wanted to honor him. And I'm not going to do that again. I'll do it on the sidelines. Uh, But he's very humble, very gracious in spirit. And he said, you know, that's that's okay. I don't don't have a problem with the referee. That's what he does. But he understood what worship was. Worship was honoring the Lord, recognizing the king. And respecting the king. And so doing so, that's what worship is. It's a priority privately and publicly, and it works in our lives. It's designed to benefit others, and encouragement happens when we come together publicly. But not only that, worship is for the king, has a specific perspective and significant purpose. We've come to worship. There's two things that need, we need to understand about perspective and purpose. The specific perspective is that God is the audience. God's the audience. You're thinking, well, I thought we were the audience. I mean, we, we're sitting out there. You're up on the platform. The choir's on the platform. We're the audience. No, you're not. We are the children of God, one body, who've come to worship our Creator and King and our Savior. And we come to worship Him. And from the minute we walk through those doors, through everything we do, it really is all about Him. It's about how we can respond to him, how we can receive him and and how he wants in our lives. It is about now worshiping in spirit and in truth. When, when, When the woman at the well said, I don't understand this thing called worship. You know, the Jews say you worship in Jerusalem. We say you worship on the mountain. Jesus said, there's a time coming, it won't matter. Place is not the issue. It's a matter of the heart and the attitude. And then you'll worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, And so he says, I want you to know, you come to worship. 
God who's the audience. The issue in our worship is not how you feel. It's how God feels. If God doesn't applaud when we finish, we failed. It isn't about me. It isn't about you. We come to say, God, it is about you. We come to worship you. To magnify you. We come that you may be pleased. That you may be glorified in all that we say and we do. And so that's what worship is. There's two extremes when it comes to worship. Unfortunately, there's that, that what I call spirit, that extreme in the spiritual realm where we worship without considering revelation just on emotion. And we worship letting our emotions go. And, and that's an extreme where basically you come, up, come away with empty emotionalism. You had a feeling, you had a goosebump experience, things were great. But that's all there was to it. And nothing changed in your life. That's an extreme. The other extreme is truth. Well, we just want to build on truth. We want to have rules about truth. We want to have, have everything about truth. And, and we're going to be very reserved because we want to make sure that truth is not disturbed or compromised. And therefore, you have dead or- orthodoxy. You have truth without life. When we come to worship, it should be a celebration. It should be a combination of spirit and truth where they come together. Heart and mind come together. I receive truth, but I express my emotion about truth. And I can get excited about truth. And I can get fired up about truth. And I can be uh, overwhelmed by truth. And then I worship. A professor talked about when he took a tour and studied the history of the churches in Europe. Today, many of those churches are basically closed. They're beautiful structures of architect and reminders of the great doctrines of the past. But here's what he said. He said you could get saved reading their doctrine, but no one cared because the cathedrals were literally cold and eventually empty. Worship's a celebration of both spirit and truth. Can I tell you, people in Atlanta really know how to worship. They rise to the occasion of worship in the fall and winter. As a matter of fact, they'll be worshiping today. It's on a human level, of course, but it is a form of worship. It occurs every Sunday. It's called football. And the Atlanta Falcon fans know how to worship. At the time for worship, thousands of people will go to the house of worship called the Georgia Dome. And they'll worship. They will prepare themselves mentally and physically and emotionally to worship. They're excited about anticipating what will happen as they worship. Some will choose to worship in the Holy of Holies called the living room where they have set themselves in front of the TV and dared anyone to change the channel while they worship. As a matter of fact, they've made sure and made it very clear that we want no distractions while we worship. And you know what? They'll worship for three hours. And I know there's something else about the way they worship. It's pretty good. They don't miss the pregame show. And they make sure they're there for the first song. Because they want to enjoy the whole worship experience. 
And when something happens, they get excited and they celebrate. They high-five one another. They hug one another. They celebrate. And when the game is over, they then reflect on the great moments and talk about it and think about it and relive it. And if need be, they're willing to sit through overtime. They know how to worship. Worship needs to be where we set aside distraction and say, God, I'm here to worship you, King. I want to think about your glory. I want to sing. Now, let me tell you what happens here. Those of you who don't know, Kevin, he does our worship. I... And we sit and talk and talk about things and have input, but basically he puts together worship as God leads him. Appreciate what he does. Here's what you'll know about our worship. We will always bring spirit and truth together. We will sing about Jesus. We will sing about the blood. We'll sing about the cross. We'll sing about the spirit. We're going to sing about truth. But with the hopes also of doing it in such a way that your emotions are stirred to worship. Because God is the audience, not you. We're the prompters. I want to preach to you, not that you say, boy, I was blessed today because it was a great sermon. I, th- I hope you are blessed. But more importantly is, what are you going to do with the truth you've heard that honors and glorifies God? That's the evidence of true worship. What am I going to do with what I've heard? Am I going to give my heart to Christ because I've been, I, I, I've, I've been issued an invitation to come to Christ and, and receive my Savior Lord? Am I going to get involved in church more because I've been challenged by what I've heard? Am I going to find a church home because I've realized that that's where God has designed us to work and function as a family? You see, what are you going to do with what you've heard? It's great that you hear it and feel good. But that's not the true essence of worship. God, what do you want me to do with what I've heard? How do you want me to live because of how, what I've heard? You see, what I'm amazed about these Sunday guys that worship uh, is this. As soon as the game's over, they can't wait till the next Sunday. They're already talking about, come next Sunday. And they begin to get excited. I'm afraid too often when we walk through these doors for public worship, it's a matter of obligation. Well, it's Sunday. I better show up. I don't. Somebody will call and wonder where I'm in. Well, I guess I need to go. My my wife wants me to go. I better go. Well, you know, I need to go. I guess I should go. I'm expected to be there. I've never, never, ever met a football fan with that kind of attitude. Obligation. Well, I just need to show up. I better show up. I got to show up. Have to show up. Man, on Sunday morning, you ought to wake up saying, God, I get to go worship you today. Man, glory to God. It's going to be good. It's not fulfilling our obligation, but living out of privilege and joy. Can you imagine... On my anniversary that I, I bring roses to my wife. And my wife loves roses. I mean, she loves roses. So, I, you know, I, I go get those roses and I put them in a little vase. And I 
get home and I walk in and I say, here, darling, I got you these roses for our anniversary. Now, for the record, understand I have fulfilled my obligation. How do you think that's going to go, guys? What do you think about that? Think the rest of the night's going to be pretty good? I don't think so. While it is my obligation to be a faithful husband, it is also my joy and my desire. When I give her those roses, not of obligation, although she expects to get roses on the anniversary. It's my joy to give her roses because of our relationship. My privilege because of our relationship. That is worship, my friend. Because of my relationship, it is my joy to be here on Sunday morning. To do all I got to do to get here. And some of you go through a lot to get here. Man, you got to get the kids ready. You got to give them the car without leaving one at home. I understand all that. Uh, You got to get them dressed. They get undressed. You got to get them dressed again. I understand all that. And the truth is, you probably get mad at one another before you get here. I understand all that. But you do it because he's the king. Some of you will not get to eat breakfast because you're in such a hurry. And you'll go hungry and you'll think, but I'm going to do that because he's the king. I thank you. We are a people who've come to worship. And we don't need to be distracted by the person to one side of us or in front of us or behind us. It doesn't matter what someone else wears, what someone else does, that matters. What matters is we've come to worship the king. And when it's all said and done, when time has gone, Will he applaud when we come to our conclusion? That's what matters. You see, worship is a choice. I choose either to show up or to worship. That's up to me. It's a choice in this life. One day it will be mandatory. For in Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus who emptied himself of of heavenly glory, took on the form of a servant, even obedient to death. And, And here's what the Spirit said for Paul to write. One day, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, in this life, it's a choice. If you bow your knee and confess Him as Lord and give your heart to Him, you'll be saved and spend forever with Him. But even if you don't, There'll come a day where you will bow and you will confess and you will worship. But the outcome is already determined. I'd rather you do it in this life when it really matters and makes a difference. God expects you to worship. Not just to show up.